Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 8 of the Euphoria Podcast. I'm Dracos. This is Cajal. As always, we're going to be bringing you all the action about last week's games, the games that are upcoming, as well as uh, some words from our special guest today, none other than Fanatic Splippa. We are, as always, available on YouTube. YouTube. Wow. YouTube. 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 <laughs> Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Um, yeah. Listen wherever you feel comfortable. Do what you're excited about. Um, dear audience, and let me tell you, last week was an absolute banger mm-hmm. for me and Cajal. We had a great week of casting. I was very proud of it. That was um, very thanks fun. again for all the people who reached out and told us that we we really super duper popped off. On the other hand, it was not a banger for many of the teams yeah. in the LEC. The good news for one team, things do seem to be looking up, Cajal, and that's and that's Misfits. And I want to I want to get your take on the whole misfits rising from the ashes not quite the misfits miracle run but the three win streak into the loss versus g2 like let's let's talk a little bit about misfits what's your read on this team right now i don't know it's hard to say because the the three win streak that misfits has was against xl Schalke, and astralis i believe right so it's not like the strongest teams but yep. they did play clean they did play well they found a play style that works for them yeah, play misfits play style is quite obvious to me at least that works it's like weak side top here it's doing well on Gregor scion let's counter pick bot and get a really strong mid jungle so the way the dynamic works is here it plays weak side and here it plays engage. And the good thing is with this composition, with having a weak side top and a tank, strong side uh, mid jungle and then a re- counter pick bot, you have the push, push in bot, you have a winning mid jungle and you have engage top. Very simple, really easy to execute. 25 minutes, your top laner presses are to go in and your team follows up because you're not a, you're not behind, you're even or ahead with that comp. So I think against easy teams, against teams that don't know how to snowball so well in early game or don't have really good late game decision making, I think those kind of comps always work. So they found a formula for them, which I really respect. And Misfits is definitely looking hot in the race for playoffs. I mean, they're one win above XL. They're tied with Schalke. Mm. Uh, and there's three games left. And I think their strength of schedule is not the hardest. It's a lot easier than I would than I would say than perhaps Schalke or anything like this. You know, they have Fnatic. They have Vitality, I believe. And Wait, hold on. You might want to you might want to hold on to that. Because I checked last night. And yeah, Misfits have... Misfits currently have they have fanatic, Actually, okay, yeah. they have vitality, and yeah. then they have mad. mad lines, right? So it's not an easy okay. schedule. It's not Misfits, that easy. Okay, actually. but I saw Schalke having fanatic, and I was like, okay, they probably have a hard week. But then I saw they have fanatic, and then they have vitality XL. So yeah, Schalke have yeah. So and we're gonna talk more about the matches that really matter um, <laughs> yeah. that are coming up this week because at the end of the day, guys, there's still 15 games left to play. That's two or 15. No, sorry, two to the power of 15 remaining scenarios. I'm not gonna do that math. Do it, Dracos. I'm not. It's it's a lot of zeros. <laughs> uh, don't. It's I have graduated. I did. I did my time in the education system. I'm not going back. Um, bottom line, there's a lot of variables, but at the end of the day, there are going to be matches that are more important, um, and we'll look at some of those later. But yeah, overall, Misfits definitely not the easiest schedule, but they're the power is in their hands to control uh-huh. this. They already we said we said they had that week where they beat you know Schalke, they beat Excel. Things looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, like things look really solid for this team. That said, there's always a chance. Um, that Schalke like come up big in this final week, maybe make their own little mini miracle run to come out on top. It's still a very close race. And in general, I'm I'm excited about Misfits. I'm on the same page as you. I think that um, we heard in the interview from Hurit, I'll bring it up again, that you know playing around mid was what was kind of bringing them success and that kind of shift really helped the team out. And we saw a little bit of a departure from that in the game versus G2 where they definitely had drafted a strong mid laner yep. for, for VTO and the Lucian. But then it was, it was a lot of bot lane focus. I think kind of out of necessity, um trying to support this this caitlin brom lane and it it was clear that vto is not 
quite as comfortable, not quite as able. And it's also against caps. So I don't want to entirely say that it's the strategy that, that hurt them here or the shift away from mid lane focus. But I am curious to see, does mid Misfits just go, okay, this is our winning formula in the final week. Like we folks play around mid, we leave bot on the counter pick on their island, top lanes mm-hmm. on their island, like just give here at something with CC, you know, like who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think this Misfits versus G2 game, I am convinced Misfits should have won this game from the early game. They just made one huge decision flaw. And basically what happened was, for context, Misfits drafted Lilia, Caitlyn Brown. They late invaded. They forced Mickey's flash. And then they had a split map against Yankos, who had the farm topside comes to Hecarim. They stacked a very big wave in bot. Mickey and Reckless were both 20% HP, no potions, only one flash and one heal. And they didn't dive them. They could have forced TPs. They could have dove. They could have forced something. And even, I think in the interview afterwards, Reckless was saying something like, yeah, we were scared. <laughs> like, we thought something could happen. Uh, but nothing did happen. So I think that Misfits missed a huge window there. Um, I think the interesting thing to me is this Misfits versus G2 game was so similar to TSM versus C9. Now, if you haven't watched TSM C9, it was the exact same thing. Caitlyn, Lilia, and Morgana versus Hecarim, Kai'Sa, Nautilus. It was literally mirrored draft. The only difference were the solo laners in a sense. And instead of Brown, you had Morgana. And they, they also late invaded both sides. And they also got two kills in the early game. They also forced the split map in a sense. So... It was really interesting to see two different regions, two exact sim- similar games, just I think Misfits could have pulled it off a lot more easy and actually forced more. And I think if they did that against G2, they probably would have won. I'm not sure if that's because they're against G2 that they were scared to force or because they had double TP, but trying to do something probably would have helped them win that game. Yeah, and I think to, to the um, to Misfits as a team overall, I will say that in general, I think that the copy vendor bot lane has not been the most explosive. And in some of their wins, it really feels like they redeemed themselves. Like the Karma Ezreal game looked really, really good from both of them overall. But they still, like, diving towers, I still don't think we've seen that level of aggression come in quite yet. But again, anytime you play G2, and every team talks about this, like, you have to be willing to fight them. You are not going to out-macro them. We talked about it in the cast, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wow, one really well-timed reset yeah. from Reckless and Mickey, where you know there's misfits aren't in a room to punish, and suddenly all of that lane advantage, those summoner spells space. being gone, 20% HP remaining on both characters, and suddenly yeah. uh, we're full health, we're fine, the Caitlyn auto-attack range is not really a big deal anymore, and we're just going to go even. That's the thing, they got a free base, and even though they got fl- that flash level one, they got chunked out level on the trade, they were split map on, and like you said, like going for dives is what you need to do. I think that even when I was watching the VOD of the game, very small thing to note, Razork or Vander actually pinged the wave that they wanted to dive on. They were spamming assistance on the third wave coming into bot. And now when you're spamming assistance on a wave, the team comms are, we're diving on this wave or we're doing something on this wave. So you ping it to give your team information. But then Razork hovered around and then he thought for a couple seconds and he just ran off to his jungle. And I was like, no, come back, please. It's the freest dive ever. You can beat G2 right here. And then, yeah, they missed the opportunity. And like you said, free base, they came back on the lane. They lost nothing. And then, yeah, if you're not getting anything in a Caitlyn lane against Kai'Sa Nautilus, it's um, it's open season. Yeah, it is. And, and credit to Misfits. They kept it close as long as they could. Even in a massive gold deficit, they were still able to make some of the fights look competitive. I think uh-huh. that's partially because of the nature of G2's team composition, though, because, like... When you have like this this TF karma as your as your solo laners, you're definitely if you miss execute on a fight at all, it's pretty I feel like it's pretty easy to get punished. Yeah. But then the back door came in, cap secures the Nexus. Yeah, the thing is everything was literally stacked against misfits so that there's there was never they got so far behind that there were no right decisions left. So despite yeah. the fact that their mid to late game was pretty good, even if they should have played the early game much better, it just eventually just didn't matter because G2 were just too far ahead. Yeah, you fight Drake, you lose your Nexus. You fight Nash, you're going to lose your Inhibs. And if you lose your Inhibs, you have no Nexus Towers left against the TF. And then the Karma's pushing. And then they have Hecarim Karma. They can engage. I, yeah, It if, might have if, looked good, but it really it was really hard to win. No, no, game. no. It was, yeah, pretty impossible. And, and again, this is G2 mostly in control the entire game. To, yeah. to be clear for anyone out there like misfits it's not like misfits are going to be contesting g2 but 
they definitely had an opportunity to in that early game and it was kind of sad to see them uh let's say like give that up a little bit um on the other hand the other g2 game the uh unofficial match of the week as many people were hyped up for it turns out it was good that it wasn't the match of the week because it was boring as <laughs> we all knew hell it's scripted we knew it. <laughs> it was so boring holy crap the first g2 rogue was like this thriller where it was like how are they fighting back with this massive gold deficit oh my god larson the ginger yeah. god he's so incredibly clutch <laughs> and this game was like to be honest, early game was a little bit grief central. Like Caps definitely like made some like little early mistakes in lane and like almost got all in and then kind of yeah. you know walked back in. But then, yeah, they just started one shot. They one shot Larson mid lane. Jin W did not look like a balanced ability that game. It was like one random piece of damage onto one character and suddenly reckless from like three screens away. It's like you're snared now, and it's like well, yeah. when you're snared against the Lucian with two items, you're dead. Yeah, I don't know. That game was a bit of. <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> i mean it was it was fun for me at the start because from like a pro player point of view if you're playing jungle on rogues on rogues team comp in that game you have three pushing lanes azir's pushing nars pushing you have pushing bot with the caitlin morgana it looks lit but then all of a sudden um larson dies in a 1v1 when he tries to tv back because inspired didn't cover him on the mid wave because basically what happened was larson was winning lane carp caps based he tv'd back and then larson tried to push the wave and then cap just killed him in his face with inspired right next to him so yep. that sucked one mistake Second mistake was the Caitlyn Morgana actually got pushed in and then got, were late on the base. So Miki Kuro mid, Larson died again. And then the third one was Yankos ganks top, Odo Amni dies. So all three of your lanes are just lost in the first five minutes with three pushing lanes. For the record, this happens all the time in LEC and I've noticed it a ton. And I don't know, maybe you have more thoughts on this, but there's this situation that just keeps coming up, which is basically that your jungler is generally in your area, is mm -hmm. generally around. And so you like push forward a little bit, right? But then enemy support or enemy jungle is always right next to you in the freaking bush. And because p champions, like most of the champions that are being played between mid jungle are usually 100 to zero in you, right? Like maybe if TF's there and it's like TF Lilia, like God forbid anyone drafts that, but like then they're not going to one shot you. But in this case, it was like Lucian Leona. And mm -hmm. so Inspired is literally on Raptors. Mickey's in the bush above Larson. And in the half a second that Mickey has a lead over like the Lilia, Azir is already dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like your jungler was there. So like on paper, maybe it's the right choice, but this keeps happening. It's not just this game. There's so many games where it's like the difference of a half a second in rotation time or thinking that you like thinking that you can push because your jungler's next to you, but not knowing if there's mm -hmm. someone in the bush. You know, all these people sneaking into bushes, this getting is... right on top of you, and you just get one tapped, and it's like well, your jungler was there. Like on paper and solo queue, I would tell you that you're fine to push. Yeah. But you just keep it just keep people getting one tapped in the mid lane. This is a thing that pro players do subconsciously. In a sense that if I'm Larson, I'm pushing mid my jungle's top side, I have a false sense of confidence that I'm hugging the right side of my lane. And Mickey knew that. He saw Mickey's pathing coming out of base. He could have gone through bot where his pink ward was, where Larson is hugging top side because he has no vision there. Or he could go through top where Mickey actually has no vision, but Larson doesn't either. So he uses his false sense of information to actually punish him. So that's a really good play by Mickey. But just in general, I think that having three pushing lanes is good and dandy. Three pushing lanes will get you advantages. You can get turret plates, push in, find enemy jungle, but they're also very dangerous. You're very dangerous because all three of your lanes are gankable. All three of your lanes, if they fall behind one small millisecond in tempo or they get killed, the lane's lost. So that's why when you we talk about team comps, we talk about like Quinn, Nidalee, Lucian, Caitlyn, Morgana, this kind of comp, pushing lanes, really OP. If you play 100% perfectly to every single right click, you'll always win every game. Yeah. But because of human error, that's why team fight compositions and scaling is always better. Because one small mistake can make it so that Quinn is out of the game for the rest of the game and it's never going to be useful. So having three pushing lanes is good. You saw it in Rogue's game. But uh, sometimes when you fall a little bit behind, it's really hard to come back against things that can engage on you. Yeah, and in theory, again, it's it, it feels good. And then 
one mistake and suddenly it's open season for the enemy jungler. <laughs> yes. Because even though you're behind in your individual lane matchup, maybe you can still get pressure when you're down slightly just because you have a winning, you know, you have a winning map advantage. But then, oh, you know, we don't have as many items. So now the Nidalee one taps you. So the yeah. second anyone ganks, you're instantly dead. And it's one. Oh, God, I, was, I say one tap way too many times. Yeah, it's such a fun word. <laughs> one tap. One tap. No, but you're right. There's so many. Like <laughs> The thing is, there's so many variables in the game that no matter what you expect to happen, it probably won't happen. Yeah. Just because of human error, game states, changes in differences, yeah, and rooms, not, and push not priorities. to dig too far into this, but I mean, like, it's it's obviously different, and was much easier to play these compositions back when you know junglers could build green smite and ward everything. Exactly. You know, when there was that infinite was wards, when there were sight stones, and you had you had just you could get flawless vision on you know essentially both jungle quadrants from yeah. both sides of the map then then it was yeah actually literally impossible to play against these compositions but n now you just there's not enough vision in the game vision is very easy to clear because sweepers mm -hmm. is so accessible so early um and so you just never at some point you're gonna have to play poker you know what i mean at some point yeah. you're just gonna have to make some bets you're gonna have to take some risks you're gonna have to flip some coins or you're gonna have to back off and not take any risks at all which also often for these compositions um, it doesn't work out in your favor. And that's what I love about the game. I love that there's no more vision. The green ward basically meant that even if you don't get vision on one side, you get vision on, let's say I put two wards on his blue buff area. If the jungle's there, he's there. If he's not there, well, you can guess where he is. He's on the other side. So yep. having one side of jungle vision gave you the whole vision of the map basically just by uh, trial and error and essentially just saying, well, he's not there, he must be here. So the green ward being removed makes it so you have less, less vision, which means you can only really put one ward in the enemy jungle most of the time, which is a trinket from your side laner. And you can play with that information. But then comes the game of I can play with your information to make you think you actually think one Again, thing and I'll yeah, do the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what Mickey did, right? Playing with the enemy team's information to give them a false sense of confidence and then catching them off guard is a very, very common thing in League. I like it because I think that that era of League of Legends was very much to me chess. Like all the information is there. There yeah. are always going to be objectively right and objectively wrong decisions, right? And I think while that was cool, it got boring for me pretty quickly, right? That was like a much slower meta. Lane because, swaps. Yeah, you could just you could just make the right choice. There was yeah. always the right choice. It was never like, do we flip it here? And there were still teams that tried to innovate, still teams that got crazy. You know, like the Fnatic death push still happened in that era of League of Legends, <laughs> right? Teams could still get crazy with it. But now it's, again, it's it's poker. It's like there is, yeah, you know, you've got five cards in front of you. Everyone knows what generally what's going on, but they don't know what you're holding. You don't know what they're holding. And sometimes you just got to take the risk and see if they've got it, you know? That's what I love about the game. Sometimes you just got to flip it. Sometimes you just got to go all in. Sometimes you have to have the number advantage or the resource to just say, screw it, we're going for this play. And then enemy team might one-up you with like a trump card of like, <laughs> well, I'm actually here or some kind of flank or some 5,000 Nilo shockwave like Larson did uh, yeah. against Mad Lions. You know, those kind of crazy things where the game's actually losing for you, but you do something crazy and it, it turns into a win. So I, th I love the innovation that League of Legends yeah. gives, uh, gives players. And a little off topic, obviously, from the LEC itself, but that is, I love that progression of League of Legends. I didn't love it at first. It was very weird to me in that era when all the sight stones and the green smites were taken away, but um, I love it now for sure. And what I'll say is speaking of being able to flip it, being able to find the miracle, being able to find it in that moment. The probably the best poker players that we have in the league right now, despite their losses this past week, is SK. Mm -hmm. um, treats the consistent engages from the middle of nowhere, taking down Excel. The only time Excel had a lead, you know, hex flashing over the wall to beat Mad Lions. Okay, but this week, mm -hmm. it's kind of it's falling apart a little bit. I say, is this phone? This. <laughs> it goes through my do not disturb bill. <laughs> I'm gonna have to repeat that part. And thus you can cut out there's some in this house. <laughs> God, that was a banger. Speaking of teams that have been playing poker, that have been winning big. Okay, for context, I have to explain the story because we're gonna cut it out, but my alarm 
I have my phone on do not disturb. We always do. But my alarm goes through that, right? Because Google wants to wake me up. The problem is, is that my alarm song is a playlist. One of six songs. Today it played WAP. So what you missed is in the middle of my point. It was, there's some, so you missed that moment. And it's going to get cut out, but I still need you to know that it happened because it was joyous. And I wish we could share it with you, but. It was such a serious topic. DMCA, baby. We can't, we just can't play it. Such a serious topic. And then I hear this. Oh, anyway, what I was going to say, anyway, so SK Gaming, we had a smooth transition originally, but it's all messed up now. SK Gaming, blah, blah, blah. Treats. Obviously, making these big miracle engages consistently, but this week it really felt like it fell apart. It felt like SK were looked like less of the kind of titans that they have in previous weeks, and now it feels almost. I'm I'm getting nervous, and I'm very. You're gonna learn this about me, kid. The more that we do this show, I'm very quick to get on and jump off of mm-hmm. team hype trains, yeah. and it's a bad trait. You know what I mean? It's definitely not. It's not. But that's that's kind of who I am. And what I'll say is, when I see this game, I immediately get scared. I'm like, oh crap! All of those treats, miracle engages that I was excited about. Maybe it's really bad that they needed those in the first place and there are things that I should be worried about yeah. that this needed to happen at all. Yeah, the thing is with these kind of plays, these clutch moments, you look at it and you think, wow, that actually turned the whole tie of the game. Like treats against Mad Lions, you know, he catches them out with the Alistair Hex Flash. Against XL, he finds unbelievable engages against a team fight comp with his single target damage comps. Gen X follows up on the NAR and they find miracle engages. Five for zero team fight when they're behind in gold against a better composition in team fight. So I definitely attribute two of their most recent wins to the clutch factor, 100%. And the clutch factor can be always a good thing, but it can always be a bad thing because if you're only winning games via a clutch factor, then you're not... Are you actually a good team? That's the question, right? Like, look at Rogue, right? Rogue, obviously a great team, super clinical. They were losing a game against Mad Lions. Larson hits one shockwave, changes the whole game, they get Baron. Clutch factor, it turned the game. Whereas SK, I feel like most of their games are coming from clutch factors, you know? And most of them coming from treats. Yeah. And then I think the biggest thing is this weekend, they went 0-2, I believe, mm-hmm. against Fnatic, which I think that game was quite sloppy, I would say, from both sides. I think SK kind of threw on the engage, on the engage on bots when Gen X TP'd, and then for 5v5, and they got 5 for 2 But against Vitality, like, if you're fighting for third place at the end of spring, you can't be losing to teams like Vitality. And to be fair, Vitality set it up. This yeah, week. for Vitality sure. went 2-0. They beat both SK and Excel. And yeah. that, like, Vitality... I've got Crown Shot in my DMs being like, I told you to believe because the Miracle Run is still alive. Like, it's possible. It takes a lot of crap for that to happen. But Crown the Shot, run is if still you're alive. listening, we had 96% chance to make playoffs, 4% not to make. If your chance is even 0.01% chance to make it to playoffs, you can make it. Numbers are I, fake data. I'll say it right now. I believe in Crown Shot. I believe in Vitality. I believe in the Miracle Run. It's technically out, not completely in their hands, but if anybody can do it, it's Crown Shot and, and Vitality. And the boys. And the boys. Shout out to the Vitality fans who've who've stuck with those guys through thick and thin. They're brought up in literally every interview. So if you're a Vitality fan and you're supporting your team, even in this very difficult uh, years, I could even say, very difficult years, good on you. Um, You'll love to see it. Um, That said, yeah, SK, I think we're just going to have to keep our eyes on them, um, see what's coming up for them, because I think it's still, the expectation is still that they're going to finish playoffs, right? I think it's pretty hard, near impossible for them to get pushed out at this point. But they're looking like the sixth place team. And what I will say is that I hope that they can get to a point where they do not need these massive clutch moments. Because clutch moments are really going to help you in a best of five. But mm-hmm. clutch moments are what you need for that game four, that game five, when you're down 3K, you know, when you messed up the early game a little bit. It can't be every game when you mess up the early game, you need to have this clutch because it's just not going to happen five times in a row. You know what I mean? Or three times yeah. in a row. And I think a good measure for SK will be this weekend. They face off against, I believe, Rogue, G2, and Astralis. So... Astralis should be a win for them, one would expect. But then Rogue and G2, the two strongest teams Europe has, and SK 
is sitting around third or fourth place right now, I believe. Yes, they might finish sixth, but if they can do well... They're fifth. They're eight they're and seven fifth, right now. They're so fifth it's... right now. So it'll be a good measure for them. They're middle of the pack about from all the teams, and they're going against the top two teams, right? Even taking one game of the top two teams is already a statement. Promising start to playoffs. Exactly. So even making the games close is a good statement. Mm. Uh, I would expect them to make playoffs for sure. But um, yeah, it will be a good measure to see what SK is really made of because it's the last week of the split. You've had all split long, preseason, everything to practice up to this one weekend. Show us what you got before playoffs. If they can beat Jorogo G2 or even do well against them, then there's hope for them, I think. Let's go. I'm about it. Let's see where you can go, SK. Shout out to that team. Shout out to that org. Um, but enough about... Well, we'll talk about SK again briefly here. But first, we got to introduce our wonderful guest. Got to welcome him to the show. So let's get started. Let's talk to Blippo. Whippo. All right, and here he is, none other than the man himself. Welcome, Whippo, to the podcast. Uh, one, how are you doing this fine day? And two, I would love to get you to weigh in on what we were just talking about previously, which is what are your thoughts on SK? How good are they really? Uh, are, are we maybe overhyping them? For the record, we put them in, in B tier mm -hmm. on our tier list above mm -hmm. a lot of other teams, including Misfits, Schalke, and Excel, the other playoffs contenders. And Vitality, too, who's also rising. Mm -hmm. But yeah, give us give us your thoughts, Blippo. Well, first of all, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, nice. Lovely. Hope everyone else is doing well, too. For sure, man. Um, and SK, I mean, I think they're all right. It's hard to really say exactly how good they are, where they stand. But I think they're a decent team. Um, they've got like their own niche with the whole like engaged support pick as many bruisers as you can get and then run at them. <laughs> uh, um, they're doing pretty well, you know, like they usually have this little goon squad going on. They like picking us, uh, you know, some many carries that get in there. I, I vaguely remember like stuff like uh, Veins, Callistas, Tristanas. Yeah. Um, not too successful against our bot lane, unfortunately, but uh, well, and it's when it works, it works. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that they can be beat here, uh, assuming that they are playing their comfort. Yeah. But once you take them off the comfort, uh, that's where it's going to be interesting, right? We're going to be uh, slowly but surely waddling into a best of five scenario, and we'll have to see uh, how well they can perform without that comfort. And you said they didn't do well against your bot lane. Now, your bot lane has, I think, the highest amount of the 2v2 kills in the LEC by far. An upset yeah, the last couple of weeks has been <laughs> popping off. Is, do you see any differences from this version of Fnatic's bot lane to last year's Fnatic bot lane? Oh, uh, yeah, there is, there is some differences for sure. I mean, obviously it's a pretty, it was a pretty big swap um but all things considered um i think the the focus of, of what a, a good laning phase is has shifted for us like obviously winning lane is winning lane right and uh just in general like uh, i think that uh, reckless even now you can see it in, in the in the g2 drafts is like pick me senna pick me Jin, and i'll be fine and you know get me to a certain point and the game will always be in good hands whereas that's not really what uh my current new bot lane is about. It's more like uh, make sure that the draft is constructed in a way where they can't play the game. <laughs> you know, like just make sure that, um, you know, if, if they get this matchup, they can't play the game. If they get this matchup, they can't play the game. And the, it's not like uh, I'm putting it in a way where it sounds like um, a little more uh, selfish than it really is. It's basically yeah. just like um, give me both sides of a matchup everyone is playing and I'll win both sides. Or we will win both sides in this case. So um, yeah, I think that there, there's a small difference there, um, where it, it's way more about making sure that we're in a good spot, and uh, rather than we will be in a good spot no matter what. So just get us there. I yeah. think that's the biggest difference from last year to this year. 
Yeah, and it feels like this team is just continuing to evolve. I feel like we've seen so many different versions of Fnatic on stage. You guys obviously had a pretty good week this week. The, the weeks before were a little bit rough. Um, you had, you know, the start of the season where it was just like blindly scrappy. I feel like we've seen mm -hmm. every spectrum Every possible team represented by Fnatic, at least in one game this season. So I'm curious where you feel like you guys sit right now. How do you feel about the team's mm -hmm. development? Um, do you feel like you have a very clear, distinct style overall? What are your thoughts on, on Fnatic's development this season? Um, I think it, it, most of it was growing pains because, again, um, new players, new team, like dynamics are going to be different. The way we view the game is going to be different. Meta is going to be different. Like what works for us will change. Like um, coming into the split, uh, I think I, like, I don't know, I had something like 12 solo kills over like eight games or something or nine games. Yep. So it was like uh, <laughs> last pick top is the way, you know, like we should last pick top. Like this guy's popping off every game. And then I, you know, I didn't have as much success with the last picks I chose. So we were like, mm, maybe this isn't really working. Uh, we had a zero two week where I, Got killed by Nar twice in two separate games, one on one. So it was like, hmm, okay, let's reevaluate these last picks and uh, see what we can do. So um, at this point, I don't know. I feel pretty confident. Um, basically, just uh, took a step back and said, uh, I think if I just play a like some a simple more um, you know meta top lane matchup where I'm playing Renekton <laughs> Nar or Nar Renekton, my bot side's probably gonna be winning. So uh, we're going to be fine as long as I can uh, put some pressure in on the map. Uh, that's basically what we came to the conclusion to. Yeah. And uh, if we just play out the game for the best of ones, we can just figure it out. If need be, we can obviously uh, turn it back on for playoffs. But uh, we, we we agreed that uh, for best of ones till now, it, I think it will make more sense to just play the game as it is and uh, just rely on the meta picks until um, we're pushed beyond that. Rather than looking for reasons to play more than the meta yeah um for someone to push us there um rather than the other way around yeah it makes sense and it feels you can see that and it definitely feels like it's working sometimes even if it's maybe not as flashy as the ribbon that you got to play versus <laughs> sk the first time you face you know one it's not <laughs> just one shotting everyone my god uh that was a montage yeah. game but you know yeah uh, obviously the win is the most important part even if it does mean taking a little bit more of a backseat for the team i i do want to mm -hmm. talk um a little bit about like how you feel this team communicates and how this team functions behind the scenes. You used a, a phrase that I love uh, for SK called the goon squad. And it's not so long ago yeah. when Broxa and Reckless were on this lineup that you, you, <laughs> that you used to, so as yeah. too, that you used to use the same thing to describe that. And there was like uh, almost like, I don't know, the hound master, like pulling, pulling you guys back, not letting you unleash the beast was I believe how you described this. So I'm curious now, how the leadership, how the communication structure works on this team, because you and Hillsang historically were always like the center for mm -hmm. really confident, really aggressive, maybe high-risk plays. Um, so how how is that communication dynamic functioning now? Is it still the same thing where you guys are like holding back and someone has to hold you back? Or how much has this shifted? Because I mean, it's been years, right? And I know that it's been gradually shifting over time, but like comparing it to what it was so long ago where you guys were the beasts waiting to be unleashed. Like, how has that shifted now that you have like Niski and, and Upset on the lineup? Um, I think it's relatively the same. I don't think like anyone's holding us like back too much. Um, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I think in general, like uh, based on the, like the champions we're playing, it's actually not a bad way to play at all. You know, bot lane meta I think is Alistar Rel. Like, 
I think they're the most picked supports by like miles yeah, yeah. Uh, in competitive gameplay right now, which means that obviously if your Alistar and Rel aren't playing like psychopaths, something is going wrong because <laughs> these champions are designed to just dive in one versus as many as you can find. Like that's kind of the idea, right? Uh, top lane, Renekton, um, even in the jungle uh, recent, uh, up until recently and even after the nerfs, Olaf, uh, Udir, these champions kind of run into champions and uh, just try to do what they can. So, uh, all things considered, for the meta, I think it's actually not a bad way to play at all. Mm. Um, you need to, you know, pick the right fights. That's the the skill of it, of obviously. But all things considered, I think um, we just kind of do our thing. And if it goes wrong, what's important is that we're just uh, we're okay with that. You know, like it, just keep playing the game. Uh, making one mistake doesn't mean you can't win the next fight. Uh, and that's what's most important. And is this, um, is this your favorite kind of meta? Just kind of run at them, engage head first? Because I think that, I mean, listening to Fnatic voice comes over the last few weeks, even mm -hmm. spring, even last year, it feels like you guys always just want to fight. So is this your kind of meta, you think, as a team? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I think what's important is really that, um, like, I think the, the difficulty of being on, on, on Fnatic and, and, and being a part of this team is that uh, it, it's recognizing when people want to fight, right? Um, it's when people want to fight and when it's good to fight. And it's like, sometimes there's going to be a fight that I want to pick, that someone else doesn't want to pick. And then when I don't want to pick a fight, someone else wants to pick a fight. That's the hard part. Mm. So like when I play Volo Bear, for example, um, you know, like I, there, there's this, uh, it's not really a meme, but um, there's a lot of bruisers I play and I like to scale with them. You know, like I don't pick Volo Bear to win early game, which is, it's different from every other Volo Bear, right? Because most people that play Volo Bear are like all about like they can grasp and winning their lane, trying to smash from bruiser versus bruiser matchup. But that's not how I like playing him. I like scaling with him. So it's a, it's a bit of an identity shift because people have to like mm. understand that I'm here to scale. So if there's like a dragon fight and I'm playing Volibear, it's like, oh, guys, I don't want to fight this one. I still have two more items to build before I get really online. Uh, and that's a bit of a shift. Uh, and then at the same time, when I called off one of the fights, um, the next time... I'm going to want to fight because <laughs> now I have my items, but then someone else is like, oh, but now the opportunity is gone. Um, and that's kind of the hard part mm. uh, about our team uh, because, well, we're very confident when we feel like we can win the fight. So calling someone off of like, oh, I don't, we shouldn't be fighting right now is rather difficult. And uh, yeah, I think we, we, we would probably profit from learning how to do that <laughs> a little bit better. Because <laughs> mm. it, it turns out to be like, ah, you know what? You know, Haley's confident that we can win this fight. Let's go. Whatever. Uh, I'll, just show up. <laughs> you know, I'll just show up and see what happens. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, well, at least I can still scale. Mm. That confidence is interesting. And I had a bit of a separate question on a similar sort of topic, more of a holistic point of view, where it's like, mm -hmm. when you face a team that's supposedly, let's say, better than you on paper, you know, like last year, Top Esports, for example, just a team that the public opinion, the sentiment is that this team should be stronger mm -hmm. than you. How do you come into those games in a, in a mental state? Do you come into the game with a realistic state of mind where you're like, hmm, yeah, they're mm -hmm. pretty good. Let's actually respect them. Or do you just have some sort of overconfidence to drown out those kind of public opinions to just say like, <laughs> screw it. We're just going to go in. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. We're going to be fanatic. Oh, I think it just comes from landing phase. Like it always comes from landing phase. I think like based on your landing phase, it's, it's always going to be how, how strong you feel in the game. Like, I think that's something that you can carry over from solo queue. Even like this is something that every League of Legends player feels and has done before. It's basically uh, depending on how well your lane goes, you can feel for what you can get away with, right? Um, and I think against Top Esports specifically, like I think our bot lane was feeling themselves a lot, right? Because mm. they were getting 2v2 kills left and right. And 
Um, I think it's the main reason why that series was so close is because in the lane, people felt like they could get away with what they wanted, right? Like they could just make the play they wanted and not, it wasn't that scary. Mm. Um, uh, whereas against teams like RNG, for example, in the past, when nothing was really going well for us in the laning phase, um, it would be very hard, you know? Uh, and I think that that's generally speaking how um, international competition, um, I, I think that's like the, the, the biggest hurdle Western competition has against Asian competition mm. is like you get through that idea of like, oh, we're weaker in lane. Yeah. And you, you kind of get over that, you know, like you just win lane. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that's obviously easier said than done. Yeah. Right? I it's mean, just, if you win lane, there's hope. If you don't win lane, it's a bit harder to play the game and that's just the way the game works right yeah and i like the way you distill that down because i think that you can there was for a long time so many years where people were just getting hard skill checked in lane right and you still see it i think in mm -hmm. a lot of the planes rounds where you just see certain regions are just better mechanically than other regions and like the game doesn't you can say whatever you want as a caster like well they've got this comp so they should scale and then the azir solo kills dilution three times in the first eight minutes and you're like well, never mind. So, <laughs> I guess the game's unplayable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to shift again, though, back to kind of more on Fnatic as a whole. And I know you're you're gonna get a lot of questions like this this year. So, but I I'm, I'm curious, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on the on the Fnatic kind of overall question bandwagon. But with Reckless Gone, Whippo, I look at you and I go, mm -hmm. this guy's the Fnatic franchise player. And don't get me wrong, Hilly's been there for a long time too. And I think. If either of you were to leave the team, if Selfmade were to leave the team, I think it'd be a big loss. And I think everyone would ask, what does this team look like with this guy gone? You know, But it's only you that I look at and I go, who is the face of this organization if this guy leaves? You're the only player that that really clicks for me. And now if you're a Fnatic fan and you're watching this and you think it's somewhat different, please feel free to call me out. Um, I think that there is room for a difference of opinion here. But do you feel that pressure? Do you feel like you are the face of Fnatic now? I mean, it's a big org. You are like, I think, the most talkative, most charismatic guy in interviews. So I, I, I does, do you feel that pressure? Do you, do you recognize that at all? Is that something you agree with? Or do you mm -hmm. th just think that that's not something that really exists for Fnatic anymore? Oh, I mean, it exists. It's just, um, it, it's more laid back, I guess. Like it's, it's far more, I don't want to say it's relaxed, but it's, it's definitely uh, not as much of a, it's not as front and center as it used to be, right? Like mm -hmm. um, mostly reckless, I guess it was, it used to be. Like Reckless was like front, up front and center, right? Like he was the face of Fnatic. No one can really argue it. He's the guy that stuck around the longest, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like you don't really get to argue with it. It's just he's there, like it or not. Um, whereas now it's it's more like um, me and Hilly are, are still around, uh, and the fact that we kind of stuck around together makes it uh, less of a one man burden, I guess. Mm. It doesn't have to be a burden, but you know, it's like it's it's not not so much a one man thing as a as a two-man thing, like I feel like it's something I share with Hilly, uh, and generally the culture that we brought to the team slowly, you know, having a more, yeah. um, how do you say it? Uh, trying to find the right word here. Yeah, it's fine. Having you a more uh, relaxed approach to, to 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 the game, you know, it's not all about excellence. It's about uh, winning, and uh, whatever it takes to win is what matters. Yeah, uh, and I think that that's something that. Um, me and Hilly kind of brought with the team is like it doesn't matter how bad we look we really don't care as long as it gives us a chance to win we'll do it mm. um, and because me and Hilly share that it, it's not so much about um, us being the face rather than us winning and as long as we win we don't care 
So, you know, because we haven't been winning <laughs> too much <laughs> in the past in the past few years, it, it hasn't really been that tough to to deal with it because um, obviously a lot of the pressure that comes with being the best team uh, is about winning. And well, we haven't been the best team, and that's just the, the reality of it, right? Yeah. So more of that pressure is just going to G2, and we're kind of just trying our best to reach that point again of where we can win, and that's what we're focused on. So I don't really use that much time or spend any time at all really thinking about who's the face of Fnatic. Mm. I'm just trying to get Fnatic back to winning. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wanted just to do a follow-up question what Draco said about being the face of Fnatic. I mean, mm -hmm. as the sort of, let's say, face Fnatic in a sense, has the growth of your career actually surprised you in a way? Have you impressed yourself? You know, think back three or four years ago, 17, 18-year-old Whippo. Would you have ever imagined <laughs> where you are now? Like the face of Fnatic, you've been to Worlds Finals, winning the split, things like this, the position you're doing. Have you exceeded your own expectations, you think? Um, I did the first year, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, the first year, it's hard to go be a rookie and play World Finals and then one-up it, right? <laughs> I mean, winning would, would have been it. Winning would have been it, but uh, not quite. Um, I mean, all things considered, I think it wasn't a year without problems. Like 2018 for me, it was, you know, I, I, had, a pretty, I had a pretty terrible performance at MSI. Summer playoffs weren't very good for me. Uh, but then I found my stride at Worlds. So, uh, you know, there's that. Credit to, um, to, to to my girlfriend, you know, like uh, like uh, giving credit to where credit is due. I feel like it helped me like, situate myself emotionally, which is something that I feel like a lot of players uh, don't have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I think that that's where most of the growth came from, for me at least. Because playing the game, for me, it's always just been playing the game, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why I had a lot of success in my first year. Because I didn't really find a way to play the game. I didn't have to uh, gain experience too much because I already went to some, um, I went to LCL, I went to TCL, like I played in Russia and Turkey. And like there, I basically realized it's like, uh, you know, if I just win my lane and then play the game from there, it's usually easier. <laughs> like competitive <laughs> gameplay is not so much different from solo queue in that sense. It's like just if you play a solid laning phase and uh, find ways to cheese people and get advantages, that's good enough. You know, like you don't have to beat someone on raw merit alone. You can just be better, smarter. You can don't have to be better. You can be smarter, or you can be better and be dumber. It, either yeah. way, it works. Yeah. All that matters is that you get ahead. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the, the the story of League of Legends. And well, since I've become a pro player, basically that's been the idea, right? Mm -hmm. um, season eight, green wards got removed. We were and just all of a sudden, about it's all it. about yeah, we were just getting ahead. It. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 all about getting ahead. And then for pretty much every single year since I've played, it's all been about early game aggression getting ahead before 15 minutes because after 15 minutes it's hard to come back when you have to face check a team that's full of fed champions it's true yeah that is very true now coming back to the present we've talked about the past now the present what's your final goal is it winning worlds do you reckon you can do it is this the team to do it yeah i mean um well again like for me the hardest part about being on a new team uh, is always to figure out how people are going to behave in, a, in in like the roughest environments <laughs> because uh, you know, the regular split is one thing, playoffs is another. Yeah. Um, international competition, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, those boot camps, they're rough. They, they, they basically just slap you across the face and tell you you're shit. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> Everything still, I, you thought you were good at, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I still bring it up anytime people talk about scrimming um, Eastern teams. I still bring up your stories about scrimming the shy in 2018. Because I'm like, people don't I mean, understand. People don't understand. It's, 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 
there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on. I mean, it goes both ways, right? Like <laughs> um, adaptation is key, right? So you, you go in, you suck for the first two weeks, but you've got four more weeks before world starts. Sure. Usually like six weeks before world starts, five weeks before world starts is when you go there and you start practicing. Um, and if you don't adapt, you're going to fall behind and you're probably going to flop, right? Um, but you do have six weeks to do it. It's just the first three weeks, usually at least in my experience, like two to three weeks. Yeah, you're gonna be have to. You're gonna see the defeat screen quite a few times in scrims. You know, it's, yeah. it's gonna pop up. You're gonna have to deal with uh, a lot of losses that feel very frustrating, hard to deal with. You're not sure what to do. Um, but as long as you get into the, the, the motion of problem solving, I think it always is going to work out. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the main reasons why international success has not eluded me. Um, at least I think top top eight worlds uh, is, is is still success to me. It's not where I want to be. Winning worlds is obviously the goal, but uh, I'm 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 proud to say that I, that uh, I've been top eight at worlds for the past three years. For me, that's something that it's still something. Yeah, it's not yeah. where I want to be, but uh, I'm still satisfied with that for sure. I think it's awesome because, frankly, I mean, for a long time that wasn't outside of the years where we were literally auto qualified into top eight for a long time that wasn't there was a number of years where that was a bit tough to acquire there was a number of difficult years for eu so i'm i'm happy with top eight obviously we're all hungry for that for that finals and for that trophy but i think yeah recognizing still that your accomplishments are still quite significant in the scheme of things is super cool as as a final question before we shift our attention to maybe some more meta discussion here um you talked about you and mm -hmm. hillisang kind of bringing culture to the team that culture that you talked about of like recognizing your own mistakes being willing to improve do you think that's part of the culture that you guys carry on and when you look at the identity uh, oh, the your, your cat is so <laughs> oh, funny it's don't so worry about it it's totally fine because this is this is the content gold yeah. that people want <laughs> um, he's, he's he's out there he's he's enjoying himself <laughs> um when you like when you look at, at the team culture and kind of how fanatic functions now i guess would you look at you and hilla saying across across the board entirely as kind of like the defining members they're the members that define the culture of fanatic Oh, I actually wouldn't say so. I mean, I think me and Hilly, like, they, like, we, like, we're kind of the same. So you can kind of count as one. Mm -hmm. It's like we, we bring the same culture, kind of. Yeah. Um, but uh, I still think uh, Selfmade brings his own uh, flair to any team. Um, obviously, he's a very talented player. So um, with talented players, people tend to gravitate around those. Mm -hmm. I think that's natural. Uh, and, and myself as a player, I, I think I've always done best when I've accommodated for the needs of my teammates and, and at least put them in a better position. And I think that that's where um, drawing the line for me can be difficult. Yeah. Because am I supposed to carry Fnatic? Am I supposed to make sure that the strong players on Fnatic can carry? I'm not sure. But what's worked for me is picking champions that enable my teammates more so than enabling myself. So um, I think with that in mind, um, I would say self-made plays as big a role in our uh, as a big a role in our culture as we do. Yeah, that's that's super cool, and I love that insight because I think that um, I think that Fnatic is is me as a team that's always felt like it's always had strong personalities in one form or another, for better or for worse, and it's always cool to see kind of how your team continues to to grow and evolve. 
because um, since this new iteration of G2, right, in 2019, it always feels like their team story has been kind of the same. And maybe it shifts a bit with Reckless, but they're, they're happy, they're, they're lucky, they're mm -hmm. having fun, they're having a good time, but they're also winning everything, right? So that's a pretty easy environment to maintain. But I think you guys as the other really big consistent contenders, Rogue now rising up to maybe join you there, it's cool to see how your team is constantly evolving from a communication standpoint. And I think that I'm a little bit biased here in that like, I respect G2. I do think they're the best team in our league, obviously. But I think from a from a storytelling standpoint, I'm a sucker for a good story. And it feels like Fnatic always has a good story. You know what I mean? Because it just feels like you guys are always, always addressing something new, always evolving. There's always new changes. There's always something new going on. And that's exciting to look at. But the thing that I want to touch on here, you talked about your role, being more supportive, being, you know, accommodating your team. So let's talk about top lane right now, Blippo, because it seems like there's a lot of accommodating going on. There was like a Yone game there and there was like a Riven game there, but otherwise it feels like you are chilling on your island. i chilling, I don't know, what are you doing? What's What the hell is happening in competitive top lane right now? Because I feel like outside of one or two really crazy Meganars, I feel like top lane is not the most thrilling lane in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, um, it's something that I personally don't like about the role right now. Um, I feel like in the past, there was always the point where um, uh, at least, all right, so before I go to the past, like right now, I feel like you pick a lane dominant champion and you go even and it's like, he's doing his job. And it's like, is he really though? <laughs> like, is that really what your champion's supposed to do? Like you pick an R, you go even uh, and, and you, you hope for the best? Because that's really how it feels, right? It doesn't feel like, well, especially with Nar, Nar's specific case here, where it's like, what does Nar really accomplish past laning phase, right? Like he has a side lane pressure, which no one uses. Um, again, people run to the dragon or the Baron area and fight to the death. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it works nowadays. That's how League of Legends is played at the highest level. It's not a bad strategy, just saying. That's what people do. And then you ask yourself, all right, so what does Nar bring to the table? It's, it's, he brings Mega Nar the most telegraphed um uh you know i don't i don't even know how to describe this in a way but where people Blippo, really understand it's three seconds of hard cc between the w and the all at level 16 yeah. come on it, and, every, it's AOE. and it's it's literally like it's this 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 yeah. this hit this promise of gold you know what i mean and it's you have to like your it's enemy true. team has to have their hands off the keyboard they have to be colorblind to the color red so that they cannot see the rage bar and assume that it's still not full yet <laughs> but then it's gonna happen whippo but then they're gonna get it and as much as it's the most telegraphed thing we still have seen there were a couple moments gen x one of the gen x teams comes to mind where teams are still it's working whippo i agree that on paper it should probably never work if you see the nar you should know exactly what he's going to do but it, it um, works. I mean, obviously, there's more nuance to it than that, right? It's not like, <laughs> oh, he's mega. Like, let's just wait until it's waited out. If they're stronger, they're going to start the dragon. And you're going to come in. And then you're going to come into a mega nar. And then you're going to lose. Or you're not going to come in. And you're going to lose the objective. So it's like, mm. it's not like there's no purpose in having him. It's just, uh, if you fall behind, he gives you no, like, fallback, right? Yeah. You have no reliable way to take over the game again. Nar is going to come in, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> you're hoping it. Because, you know, if someone pokes, pokes Nar, he gets angry and then he gets big and it's like, oh, well, shit, <laughs> I guess that's our engage, you know, yeah. like, uh, well, that's it. <laughs> that was our main engage tool that we were supposed to have. Uh, yeah. That's not an Ornhorn, which comes when you want it to. It's not a Sion, which comes when you want it to. You can even argue it's not a Renekton Flash, which 
goes when it wants to. Yeah. Mm. Um, but in general, I feel like Renek, like right now the meta top lane is like what? It's Renekton, Nar, uh, I'm trying to think. Like Scion. these two are like the the main offenders yeah, for sure. Scion. Um, Scion is in a different category where it's like I can see why people draft him at least. Uh, like Renekton and Nar, like you win lane and if if you don't, problem number one. And if your team falls behind and you win lane, problem number two still. Mm, yeah. Because these champions thrive when your team is ahead. Um, because you can pick a fight whenever you want. Because like, yeah, you're mega, you jump in, you you stride breaker, you hit someone with a slow, probably a fight starting. Might be good, might be bad, but if you're ahead, odds are you're gonna want to fight. Mm. Um, or they have to run into you. Either way it works, right? You want as Renekton, you're fed, like you want people to run to you, right? That's kind of a good thing. Mm-hmm. At least in my experience when I play Renekton. Um, but all things considered, top lane meta, I feel like from the laning phase to the team fights, it's like just pick a bruiser, um, buy Starax, buy a Gore Drinker or Stride Breaker, and then just try to have as much effective HP as possible to be a big meat shield that deals some damage. Yeah. That's it. Damn. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, I mean, there's not much to it, right? I, I, I really don't feel like there's <laughs> I, much to it. I, it's, yeah, I, it, I was like, I was like, damn, all right, well, this is like interesting, interesting, interesting. And then you gave me the TLDR and I was like, oh yeah, well, well mm. no, that's, uh, not quite as much. Th- yeah. I want more. I want more from that. You know, like what? I feel like we had more interesting. There were more interesting, more dynamic metas previously. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there can be, and I think they're up and coming. Like uh, sound showing up. Um, he's kind of the same. Like he just builds other items, but uh, I <laughs> guess like, nah, he has a cool ultimate. <laughs> That's true. At least he doesn't build. I mean, I actually think he can build Strikebreaker and Starax. <laughs> oh but boy, some people haven't evolved yet. Um, but I don't think it's that bad of a build on him, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like uh, I think there's niche outliers, right? There's the Jays, yeah. there's the Gangplank. Uh, Gragas looks cool. I mean, again, he buys different items, but he looks cool. Uh, he has Body Slam, Flash, and an ult. Like, I like flashy, that. So mm. it's always nice. As a caster. At, at least he's reliable. Like, that, that's the thing, right? It's like the difference between, I feel like, Gragas and, and Sion and Gangplank compared to this Nar and Renekton. Is they're reliable. You know, you pick them, you know what you're going to get, and you can consistently recreate what you're getting. With Nar, it's like, you can't recreate getting a five-man Mega Nar or a two-man Mega Nar or a one-man Mega Nar for that, for that like, idea, yeah. right? Because as a champion, he doesn't have reliability. Um, so all things considered, I feel like it's hard to really pinpoint top lane meta and what it is because when the meta is revolved around a lane dominant champion nar that basically has uh, been buffed to a point where mega nar is uncontestable at all stages i feel like the only time you can contest mega nar is when he doesn't have his ult which it's like a 30 you know, second after level 11 he has yep. ult, he has ult every time he turns mega <laughs> so yeah. um <laughs> it's it's pretty hard to really uh, determine what, what what top lane like like what really matters in top lane you know it's like what's really important about a top laner like what's a quality of a top laner that you really want to have you know well it's farming creeps that's that's what i can think of (laughs) well whippo in that case we brought this maybe you've just kind of confirmed that maybe this is the worst time to make this list but we're going to ask you to make it anyway we want to know your top five top laners and maybe that's your top five creep farmers Mm -hmm. maybe that's your top maybe that's your top (laughs) five uh blind blind pick nar people or people who go even in lane like i don't know the top laners doesn't sound like there's a lot of wins for top laners right now but in spite of that i would love to know who is in your top five it can be ordered or unordered but who do you think are like who are the who are the big dogs in the land of Nar? <laughs> uh, I mean, I always just wonder, even though he hasn't played Nar once, I think. Maybe once. Not sure, actually. I don't think he's played Nar this season. Oh, he used to be a big Nar player, so not sure why he didn't. But either way, 
Uh, I think Wonder is obviously uh, honorary number one. Uh, again, honorary or not, you can put him number one either way. Uh, he's just um, most consistent player across the two, three years G2's been winning. Mm-hmm. Can't really argue against putting him number one. Uh, he's had great performances, always been carrying G2 when they needed him to, and otherwise been a very solid, reliable top laner. You know, whether he's on the tank or a carry, he's always done well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can play what he needs to, often has something spicy up and coming if need be. You know, we've even seen him on Enchanters, actually. So he's always played really well. Yeah, always he... one of the one of the reasons why G2 looks good. And he definitely feels like one of the few people who is bucking the trend. You're right, he hasn't played NAR at all. But he's played a lot of the more interesting things. Gragas is still his most played, so definitely like that's less flashy. Mm-hmm. But he played the Quinn, he played the Aurelia, the Ivern. Now, the Ivern and the Aurelia felt a little less like super serious picks to me. But he experimented with the Kled. There was you know, a bit of set, something mm-hmm. that you've tried your hand on. And obviously the Karma, the one, the pick that you just mentioned most recently as well, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Hard for me to gauge how good it was. But yeah, I think it's fair to put Wonder number one. I think it's always difficult like when... A player's performing very well, and they're also on a number one team. I think it's it's hard to take them out of that number one slot. Like someone else has to be really overperforming for that to yeah. to be the case. Yeah, for sure. I think I missed it, missed the days of like this shy uh, the, the cannons going in like Smeb, Penta killing people, <laughs> all these things. The shy Aatrox, Jaces, uh, Nuggery on the cannon as well. Those things make you think like, oh, okay, top lane actually has impact in the team fights. But nowadays it's like. Yeah, I drag us. Oh, I think they definitely have him. I think they definitely do. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like I feel like the we- role is weak. You know, like I play on neck and I flash on someone. I probably it's one, a one shot, shot. <laughs> especially with Brawler's yeah, claw. Like, <laughs> yeah, you have like a million effective HP and you one shot people. Like Nar is the same. You know, you still do a lot of damage in team fights, even if you yeah. can't like do do like anything game changing. But um, I would say, on average, there is a pretty big difference between like what is considered successful you know like you, you pick yep. jace you pick cannon you smash your lane it's like that's what you that that's obvious you know that's obviously this guy is at the helm of the game you know like he's taking care of what needs to be taken care of he's playing cannon 20 cs up against nar smashing the guy he's playing jace 20 cs up against nar or atrox or whatever he's smashing the game yep um you can also see it with how much damage these champions deal you know it's like the damage goes like whoosh. You know, yeah. Jay's getting ahead is like, what is happening? You know, yeah. Yeah. champion is one trolling people. Yeah. Just, um, whereas yeah. with uh, Renekton, Nar, and stuff, it's like they just get beefier. Like they get really beefy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So who wonder number one? Give us, mm-hmm. give us a quick run through of of two, three, four, five. We can we can talk about it more. But if you just give us the in your head, bam, 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 bam. What do you, what um, have you got? So, I mean, Odwamla comes to mind. Armut comes to mind. Um, Are I you mean, excluding again, yourself from, from from this list? By the way, when yeah, I yeah, I don't I, think there's a point in rating myself. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Just just making sure for people at home. So I mean, know. again, like, if I rating myself publicly, rating myself privately, it's always different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm just not going to rate myself because sure. from my perspective. Um, I need to have the confidence to be number one in order to contest number one. Therefore, yep. um, I always have to put myself number one. Um, it's just the way I work. That's why I don't, I'm not going to rate myself because if not, I'd be number one and people would make fun of me. And that's not fun. Yeah, that's it fair. Is, but that's fair enough. Nah, that's there you right, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for sure, okay. You so want to put me in brackets, number one? You can go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm the, but, I told, uh, I told you we wonder... like the clickbait. We don't have to fish for it that hard. You, you just right, excluded right. yourself from the list process. That's totally fine. So outside of you, wonder number one, who else? You said Odawamne's on the uh, list. Yeah, Odoamne, Armut, uh, trying to think. Um, these are the, the, the people that stand out to me, um, like a little bit at least. Again, they're, I think Odoamne and Armut are farming, farming well. 
Um, they buy their bruiser items. They walk into a team fight and do their job. Their teams get them to that stage. Um, you know, again, I don't think this split has been like, uh, holy moly, top laners are popping off 24-7. It's more like, well, you pick the Renekton, you pick the Nar, you pick the Scion, you showed up. Good job. Good job, Keith. You simultaneously are like praise them but also made their accomplishments sound like meaningless and i love it and i know you don't mean i know you're just talking about the role in general right i know it's not specific to these guys like but it's so funny because you're just like yeah the one armed are good they uh they farm their lane they buy their items and they go in and they push their buttons they showed up <laughs> they, they exist oh, yeah, it's, play, it's, it's like who, what are the guys not, not under top five doing if that's the standard for top five <laughs> you know that's like a dark that's a dark time for top lane okay so we've got yeah we, that's the hard part yeah that's the hard part right it's like who isn't doing that um, True. No I mean, one comes to mind, but at the same time, there is a little bit of difference, right? There's a little bit of like he's yeah. doing a better job, you know. They're yeah. finding the team fights. Like Broken Blade comes to mind, you know. Yeah. Like Broken Blade, like um, might not be like they went on like a massive loss streak, mm -hmm. um, but at least in the games that I remember, he was farming his creeps well, and then he showed up. Like he had a Fiora game where, like, great example. Like he played Fiora, bought the same items that everyone else buys, like Starx and Stridebreaker. And he killed some people in a team fight, you know? It's like, I mean, I guess, you know, you did it on Fiora, you do, you do it on every champion. I'm trying to think, like, I want to say Broken Blade because I remember the Aatrox gaming against G2, but that's a while mm. ago. Do you want me to list the people that you don't have so far, just in case? So there's. Uh, you can if you want. Yeah, so White Knight, Cries, Hirit, Gen X, Segenda are the only people that you haven't said yet. So, so far, of the top five, mm -hmm. excluding yourself, you've named Wonder, Odawamne, Arma, Broken Blade, no particular order yet outside of Wonder number one. Um, but those are the names to consider. So, uh, Gen X, I forgot this one. Gen X is on that. So if you, I mean, this is the this is where the top five gets tough, right? Because now we got to talk about who's cutting out. Now with yourself, there's technically six. So you only need to cut four four players total from this list. Yeah, but who, I mean, I don't know. It's like <laughs> honestly, like after like uh, the, the three people I mentioned, I feel like everyone else is like the same. Like I think Cries played really solid uh, in the first few games. Like he he was actually breaking the meta in that sense, where he was playing Cho'Gath, Enchanters um mm -hmm. some gang playing and that actually in my opinion takes a lot more skill because you actually have to navigate a laning phase against champions like nar and renekton which are like really annoying to lane against because they have no resource so they kind of just push you in and poke you whenever they want they don't really have to use their brain too much yeah. for trading it's like it's just natural you want to use your spells when they walk into you um not to say that it takes no skill to play them just navigating a laning phase as these scaling champions is in my opinion what has determined skill on top lane right yeah. it's always been the benchmark of uh, how strong a region's top laners are if someone can pick orn blind or pick orn into a lane bully and then get away with that that's a huge deal you know like that that's like that is proof of skill mm. um you know in a region where gangplank is very prevalent this is the same idea people will pick vladimir into gangplank people will pick uh, lucian's rise jace all these champions in the gangplank and having players in your region be capable of playing gangplank into those matchups is definitely indicative of how skilled your region is as top laners because if you can't play scaling champions into lane bullies top lane it just means your top laners are kind of bad yeah <laughs> uh, that's Dang. just kind of the way it is right yeah. um so to me cries definitely should be in top five i'm not sure if he should be four or five but um, the fact well, that he was able to do that consistently to me is something that is definitely showing of, of, of skill. Like it's, it's, it's quite difficult to do. I think Same. to me that that is so, so wild because I look at this, I think it's really hard to figure out who's number five, right? I think there's a lot of arguments. I might've said here it just because yeah, of his impact on his team, but 
The fact that you've advocated mm-hmm. for cries, I think, is really cool because this is a guy, and I would love to get your thoughts on this since we're on the subject of cries because we've talked about him a few times on the show. And Cajal, you played with him too, so yep. there's a lot of qualified opinions here. Um, more qualified than mine, but I'm going <laughs> to give mine anyway. But um, my impression last year is that he was playing scaling all the time, and it was it always felt pretty impossible for me to get a read on this guy. But ultimately, he was falling behind in lanes where he was supposed to fall behind, and so it was like I could never tell you if cries was good or bad. I could just tell you Excel was losing, and I didn't like the Vladimir's and the Kales. So it's I think it's crazy to see the turnaround this season. But, but from your perspective, was cries always this good? Or is this something that has happened very recently? Is it just exclusive to this season? And how much of this comes from like the few games that you guys have played on stage versus like experience behind the scenes in, in scrims? Uh, I mean, ultimately, um, I think it comes down to the fact that he's always gotten away with the laning phase. Like he never got the award because his champs he picked were just bad. Like, you know, he picked Vladimir and Kale. It's like, hmm. you know, when he picked them, they weren't like, oh my God, these champs are broken. Like they have been, don't get me wrong. Yeah. These champions have reached that point in the past. It's just... Um, you know, when you do it on the Camille, obviously that's why he drew a lot of Camille bans because he was able to do that reliably. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Camille was banned very often against Excel this split and in the past yeah. um, because of this. Um, it's different, you know, like when you play a champion that is actually going to pay off big time rather than a champion that might pay off, it's different, right? Um, picking a champion just for your lane, just because you can lane and you might have value is different from picking a solid champion and then pulling it off. You know, Urgot comes to mind for me, for example, as a champion that I used to play that was like this. Like, he's a very hard-scaling champion. He's going to show up in teamfights and kill everyone if he gets to that point. So um, I think Kryas has always been at that level. It's just he didn't really pick champions that would show it. You know, he would pick Kale uh, into Orn and then not really pay attention to the composition. So, you know, he might run into a, an Alistar and get comboed. And that would be the end of that, or Rakan and get RW'd, yeah. and that would be the end of that. Um, and then your your Kale that was supposed to scale into the late game kind of just got Rakan. Oh, sucks. Same with Vladimir. So um, I think um, when he shifted more towards the reliable uh, team orient, team fight oriented champions like the Cho'Gath, uh, like the Gangplank, some of the enchanters, I think you could see it more reliably because when he got to that stage, you also saw way more effect from these champions. Like you saw these champions make a difference in the game. Yeah, I think Kryze is an interesting character. When we signed him in summer, he had had one year, barely one year of competitive experience. He was purely a solo queue player. And um, when I talked to Joey Youngbuck, we were like, yeah, okay, Kryze is probably going to be really good, but he's going to need time to come out of his shell. And when I met him in person, he was quite shy. He wanted to play his comfortable champion, split pushing, scaling. And I don't think he had the confidence. He had to go all out lane phase, like show what he's really made of. Um, and I think that this off season, has, he's grown a lot. I especially in summer split, his champion pool was quite small. Vladimir, Kale, Camille. He wants to split push and just be scaling. But now he's definitely coming out with all the pixies, being creative. Uh, I think Kryze is definitely someone to keep an eye on uh, going forward throughout the year. Um, although Exile's not having the greatest showing, I think that what we got out of Kryze last year, especially in summer, having eight wins and 10 losses was actually pretty pretty impressive to me. Surprising we didn't make playoffs, it sucked, but the team as a whole was actually functioning pretty well with that kind of play style. Like, mm-hmm. put Kryze on scaling, play to bot, Kryze is our late game win condition, Patrick's our team fight win condition. Um, didn't work in the end, but that was what we were going for, and I think Kryze definitely stepped up this split especially, and I think as time progresses, he should get better and better and better, uh, and definitely have high hopes for him. 
Damn, I love that insight. I, I kind of, there was moments, obviously at the start of this, but I was like on the Grise hype train. Not the immediate start, because I didn't love the Enchanter's top lane as much as you guys do. But I, I liked the Cho'Gath. I liked the Camille games. I was like, yes, who is this man? This is what I've been waiting to see. Yeah. So it's cool to hear him get that much praise and to have that insight um, from both of you. That said, Whippo, to round things out here, um, final final order, or you can do unordered completely if you want. It's, it is your top five list, but so far the names you've listed are Wonder, Odawamne, Armut, Broken Blade, and Cries. Uh, is it that order? Is there anything you want to shift? One through five, what's it going to be? So for me, uh, obviously the four people I mentioned outside of Broken Blade are definitely top four. Um, I think Cries is the only one that's like a little bit controversial because again, I value that scaling aspect. I value the fact that you can play a tank into a carry matchup and still be relevant in the game. Mm. I don't think it's that easy. But at the same time, um, I think it's important that you can play what the meta needs. And I feel like the other three have done that better. I think Armut, Odo Omni, and Wonder have been the most solid at this. Broken Blade, for me, his earlier game splits are what came to mind. So that's where I was like, yeah, Broken Blade. Yeah. Uh, but right now, I'm not 100% sure. I just don't know. Trying to actually look at all the top players again now to have a look. Like White Knight, hear it, Gen X, hear it, hear it, Gen Agenda. X up like there. here in Gen X, first, stick out to me. Um, here it obviously had a pretty big, pretty big performance for his team. You know, he played the Jace, um, got ahead a lot of games. Um, you know, always had to, like, generally speaking, had a decent performance. I feel like this split, mm -hmm. um, nothing extreme, but definitely noteworthy. So again, like, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty hard actually <laughs> to, to pick someone because I feel like it's kind of the same, you know. It's like all all three of these names, like Gen I guess Gen X has had the best performance out of them if I think about it because I feel like his team, like for me, Gen X should be five number five because now that I think about it, his team has like conformed to that playstyle, right? Like the mm -hmm. you pick a bruiser top, you go and go to a dragon area baron area and you fight to the death with two or three beefy champions and two or three carries and i feel like they've done a pretty good job at that so honestly i think i'm gonna go ahead and call gen x for number five because i feel like that's a pretty good thing you know when you're a top laner and your team rallies around the fact that you're gonna run into a team fight and try to kill everyone and you actually win games that way it's very reminiscent of what what happened with Fnatic in 2019 for me and i felt pretty pretty good when i picked aatrox and I led the team into battle. Yeah. Led the team into battle. I love it. And he's one of the few guys who's gotten to cast Gnarled on multiple people this season multiple times. So. Megan R. So it looks good. So final list, and correct me if I'm wrong here, we got Wonder. And again, this is excluding Whippo. So it's Wonder, number one, Odo, two, Armut, three, Cries, number four, and Gen X, number five. I think that's uh, pretty solid. Interesting. Dude, that's super cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing the list, and especially for the insight on Cries and to Gen X. Uh, we'll probably, we'll bring you back when the meta is, you know, Jace first Kennen every game where there's Callista top running around so we can get like the reevaluation at some point because like like you said maybe it's a little oh. bit harder in this meta to see the the true colors of of every top laner but uh the funny the funny thing about that is that um when there was this meta I would always run away and play the tanks into them because I felt like it was better <laughs> so <laughs> it's never like I actually like fought fire with fire you know it's like oh he picks Kennen oh, I'll just take a little Scion game here and or a Maokai game no problem <laughs> you know um it was never like uh oh he picked Kennen, like this guy's about to get jaced you know it's not like i haven't done it it's just it, it's not something i ten tended to do and never mm -hmm. have it's why i value scaling because that's yeah. always what i found the better way of playing the game uh 20 cs lead i really don't mind you know like i i, I really don't care about csd at 15 
I will, even when I'm ahead and I'm about to be 50 CS up, it's very rare that I'm going to go for that. I'll probably TP bot and see what happens there rather than um, enjoy my advantage. So um, all That's things like considered, yeah. it's, um, it's a preference thing for sure. I like it. Very selfless. Well, Bupo, <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us, man. Good luck to you in your, in your upcoming super week. Uh, hope for the best for your guys' final playoff placing. I guess technically you're not qualified through whatever tiebreaker matchups mad are for reasons that i don't really understand but has something to do with tiebreaker <laughs> rules um it, but i've been confirmed it's been confirmed for me so i'm not gonna get into that but um you know good luck mm -hmm. it seems like it seems assured to me obviously it's not 100 percent locked but it feels like you guys are assured for playoffs so good luck in your in your fight for for seeding this weekend uh against a you know a wide variety of opponents super weeks woo Ooh. woo woo <laughs> i mean i'm looking forward to it super weeks are nice like the thing about super weeks is uh it's always something to look forward to like yeah. it's always like you know maybe someone has something special it's always the last week right so you, you never know okay until you know last question last final snippet of a question do you have anything special for us Bupo? you don't have to tell us what it is just let the fans know is there something it's oh, no, like people already know uh, people already know i mean i stream it every day it's champion that uh turns the lights off Ooh. champion that turns the lights Ooh. off i, I like, like it, it. I, I know what it is okay uh twitch.tv slash Bupo. Right? Whippo lol, I believe. Whippo, Whippo lol. lol. Um, you can also, you yeah. know, just check out Whippo on Twitter, but he's streaming all the time. I'm not going to lie, I was kind of hoping for the AP Vola Bear, but uh, if, yeah, if you're looking for our spicy new top lane picks, the Whippo stream is the place to go. But uh, yeah, otherwise, again, good luck. And well, we'll try to sneak Vetti onto the casting desk to talk about top lane uh, lights out if yeah. top lane lights out. Darkness. <laughs> There's a good, I mean, honestly, I think this time is OP as hell, man. Like, doing these oh, boy. And then I'll deal with it. <laughs> I don't know. This time is broken. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. There you have it. It's broken. We'll see if it comes out. That's it for our time with Whippo. Thanks again, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Whippo as always. Um, fantastic guest always offers so much insight um, and is so open with that knowledge. I really appreciate that about him having him on. But Fnatic, as we said before, all but locked in playoffs. And it's uh, pretty much feels like a sure thing that they're they're going to be there. It would take really some ludicrously insane yeah. circumstances for them to be gone. But speaking of, let's talk about the most hype potential story coming into playoffs. And that is the Vitality Miracle Run. Now, for those of you, and maybe we use fair Miracle Run too liberally, but Vitality are currently 411. Mm-hmm. Now, they are playing this week, Cadrill, Schalke No Fear, Misfits, Astralis. and Astralis. Yep. So, not that crazy of a schedule. And most importantly, with Schalke and Misfits, as you can see in the stands behind if you're watching, but they're both tied at 6 and 9, and they're currently in 6th oh, place. Oh, good choice. Nice numbers. If, if they go 0-3 this week, both of them, Vitality can finish at 7 wins. Now, that's the simplest case for Vitality to qualify for playoffs. Yeah, simplest case. Now there are tiebreaker scenarios, and I won't. Again, I won't get into them. Now, the thing about ending on a super week is that there's too, still too many freaking scenarios to break mm -hmm. down. This is the difficulty. In years past, guys, I might have tried to break down. Hey, this is why this matches. This is what the percentages are. But at this point, it's just very difficult to do. That said, we'll keep you guys updated on the broadcast. That's the simplest case. But there are other situations where Vitality can make it through. Um, finding tiebreakers, finding opportunities. Better win record in the second half is also really significant. If they tie teams in the head-to-head, -head, it's broken, I believe, by better win record in the second half. And, well, if you're making Vitality, if you remember, had a pretty crap win record. Yep. And Schalke, a team that has been losing constantly, if they end up in a tie with Schalke after beating Schalke this weekend, we may have ourselves Vitality knocking Schalke out of playoffs for that final spot. It is possible. Fnatic hold a lot of cards. Fnatic are against Schalke and Misfits in the Super Week. So 
if they actually beat them. I mean, I think the simplest way is, like you said, Vitality getting wins and them going 0-3. But the important thing to note is Schalke plays against Vitality this weekend. Yep. And if Schalke lose to Fnatic and they lose to Vitality, that means Schalke realistically only get one win. And if Vitality 3-0 it, then they're tied. So I think there's a world where Vitality can make it in many different scenarios, but they have to win every single game. Because if they lost one game, let's say Schalke wins a yeah. game, they get seven wins, it's over. So let's look at Vitality. Vitality have to go 3-0. Misfits have quite a difficult schedule. They have Fnatic, Mad Lions, and then they have Vitality as well. So lots up in the air. Misfits facing Vitality, Schalke facing Vitality. It's all on Vitality, basically. If Vitality lose the games, they're out of the playoffs run. Yeah. It's basically Schalke versus Misfits. And it comes down to who can clutch it out against Fnatic. For sure. And I think, so, to recap, the teams that we were talking about last week were Excel, Schalke, and Misfits. Now, Excel falling down again. They're a little behind. They play Rogue, they play Schalke, and they play G2. G2. Excel, that's the true miracle if that, Excel can that's, make it to playoffs. That's, that's the unicorn run. That's that's beyond. Like, the, that is unheard of. That's the non-unfathomable. That is like your consciousness has <laughs> ascended to another level. Like, we don't even have a word in any language well, known to man. It's, like, it's, we have to use the language of the elder gods to describe what this is. This concept that is so beyond miracle. The elven language or something. No, <laughs> it's an inter... Klingon we'll or call it, We'll call it the intergalactic run. The intergalactic run. That's what Excel has. That's what Excel has. they face G2 and Rogue. And they need two wins at least. Yeah. And you're against G2 and Rogue. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, if they go 3-0 this week, the Intergalactic run is, is ahead and they're eight wins and they're up there. But we're not yeah. we're not selling tickets to the Intergalactic run, people. We're, we're not selling not tickets to the The Miracle run has a train, but the Intergalactic one doesn't because I think we should be a little bit realistic and just say it's going to be very tough for them. Not that they're out, but it's going to be very, very tough. Very, very hard. Uh, in a similar vein, Schalke also on this on this big lose streak. They they play Vitality, XL, and Fnatic. So their, their schedule is, it still feels like very much in their own hands. Of the teams that we've listed so far, they have one of the easier schedules. So while Misfits right now you would favor based on recent performance, um, in terms of schedule, Schalke are much more favored to actually take this final playoff spot. Yeah. So something important to note there. And that's the thing. Like Schalke winning those games in the early stages of the split against the harder teams has actually helped them a lot. G2, Rogue, they beat them. Mm -hmm. This is helping them a lot at the late, late stage of the split, right? They have an easier schedule than Misfits, but Misfits is playing better. So those are definitely the two teams to keep an eye on. Vitality can make a miracle run. But Dracos, I think the thing that I'm looking at is G2 Rogue. Who's going to finish first? Because in my bet, I put that Rogue would finish <laughs> oh first. God. And you put that G2 would finish first. But now Rogue's one win behind. So I need G2 to go 0-1-2 this weekend. And then I'll make it. G2 play Mad, <laughs> SK, and XL. And yeah. so all things considered, that is what I would normally call a pretty difficult schedule. Mm -hmm. um, for G2, it's hard to know oh, what man. we're going to get this week. We talked about it on cast that this G2 feels like they're tryharding every single game. Now that might change with their final game on XL. I think generally for in previous seasons, Grabs' philosophy has always been as long as the game matters for either us or the team we're playing against, we'll take it seriously. So mm -hmm. if Excel are already locked out by Saturday, maybe we see a troll game there and that could shift. But I feel like as long as first place is on the line, and first place does matter. Remember, you get to pick between your opponents in the first round if you're first place and you get whatever's left over if you're second. It does matter a lot. Yeah, um, It's possible. On the other side, Rogue have Excel, Rogue have Fnatic, and Rogue have SK. So I'd say marginally harder schedule for for rogue they both have xl but it's uh fanatic versus mad depends on what yeah. you think is going to be the more difficult opponent. i suppose so but like i just hate this i why did i put rogue first man it's like you we get both, you we guys... both jinxed ourselves we both tried too hard to think of things that would be yeah. creative to win and ender just stayed the tried and true like Ender's, this is uh, the God. generic playoff predictions okay if i lose just because of this g2 rogue prediction i'm gonna i'm gonna hate myself but yeah that's an interesting one the lookout for first place i think g2 probably much pretty much have it in the bag but the playoffs race is definitely on uh, i think every single split there's a playoffs race for yeah. one spot and it's always the sixth spot and it's always three teams fighting for it but the funny thing is 
last year summer it was us versus origin for the slot and then schalke came from three wins <laughs> to, to eight or something like this in a row origin dropped like a rock and origin fin yeah we were racing origin in like week seven of playoffs this was the week before the super week it was like six and six and something between us exact same wins and all of a sudden origin finished last and we finished <laughs> seventh and schalke got the spot so yeah Vitality can definitely yeah. upset here. So let's let's. I want to just take a chance to highlight a couple of the games. If you are a Vitality fan, you are watching each and every single day. On Friday, it's Schalke. On Saturday, it's Misfits. And on Sunday, it is Astralis. Maybe you get to breathe a little bit easier on Sunday. Maybe Astralis play like they are unchained because there's no pressure on them. I think it's the other round. I think it's Astralis on Friday. Oh, did we, did, we, did we reorganize the schedule? And um, yeah. Oh, we were going to schedule. All right, well, ignore the schedule. I'll just tell you the important games then because I don't have the right schedule in front of me. Um, other really, really significant games are going to be uh, Schalke and Ophir versus Vitality is very important for both Schalke there. Misfits need to find a win is the big thing. Again, Misfits play Vitality. That's a great place for them to find a win. It crush, simultaneously crushes the Vitality dreams and pushes them ahead. Mm -hmm. That would be my assumption of where they could find it. They could also pull off a win against Mad Lions or Fnatic. But Misfits Fnatic. just need to find one win somewhere. Otherwise, to be completely honest, there's no sing the really singular defining games are usually teams that are neck and neck battling each other, and we just don't have too many of those this week. So this is going to be one of those weeks where every game counts. Yeah. Um, but there are not a lot of singularly defining games outside of where Vitality plays Misfits and Vitality plays Schalke. But I think, yeah, that's that's the cool thing though. Every everyone's destiny is in their own hands, right? Everyone, if everyone wins, then they'll make it basically. So it's not like, oh, we lost this one game, we're out. Like Schalke misfits, Schalke yeah. won, Schalke's in. It's not like that. It's like, this is three games, and these three games decide your fate. Win as many as you can. Good luck, have fun. Absolutely. <laughs> what a way to end. Good luck, have fun. Super Week is coming up. That is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Three back-to-back -back days of LEC. Back to back to, to back. back. <laughs> <laughs> the days start to stack, folks. Uh, 15 games for you to watch this weekend, deciding just about everything, I believe. Uh, and we'll find out playoff seeding. There's a week break after that, as we head into playoffs. But this is it. This is Super Week. You can find out your team's going to make it. RXL doomed to be seventh for the rest it's, of their lives. It's crazy to me to be on the other end of the playoffs race. Normally, I'm in the playoffs race, stuck in the mud, in the trenches, now fighting just for my life. Watch. And now I'm just on the sidelines, you know, just chilling with my drink, just watching <laughs> how it unfolds. It's so much different. Fight for me. Fight for me, yeah, peasants. <laughs> no, not so much, but yeah. <laughs> you know, in a sense, yeah. All right, this has been Euphoria Season 7, Episode 8. Thanks again to Whippo for joining us, and good luck to all the teams fighting for their playoff seeding. We'll be watching and having a damn good time. Lovely.